And I simply felt for the really longest time, I was just, I felt a lot of guilt. I felt a lot of shame around sex. I felt the guilt of not being, of not wanting my partner. And I just didn't know what to do. And I, you know, we were just sort of in this place where I was like, this isn't the, this isn't what I wanted for myself. This isn't what I wanted for a marriage. But like for years we went on with like, I, it wasn't a sexless marriage, but it was an undersexed marriage. So, you know, if we had sex, I don't know, 10, 15 times a year, that was kind of average. Again, if that works for a couple, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not what I wanted. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy. Welcome to episode 301. Yes. We, ma- we made it to 300. We're almost to 400. <laughs> I know, right? Just 99 more We just episodes. have to say that for 99 more weeks. Oh, you're going to get sick of that, aren't you? Nope. Nope. Well, maybe the listeners will. Not my problem. <laughs> Anyway, welcome to episode 301. Totally kidding. You are my problem, listeners. We are. We're Finn and Emma. (laughs) Today, we have a wonderful conversation with Jeannie. Jeannie has been together with her husband for 27 years and with her boyfriend now for two years. We have a fantastic conversation. Hold on. She has a boyfriend and a husband? She does. What, What kind of atrocities are these? I know. We have just such an amazing conversation with her as they navigated non monogamy, but so much more than that about her journey and coming into her sexuality and awakening her sexuality within herself. Yeah, I think you said it fantastic. And I would just add that Jeannie also has a book out, which she goes into, I would say, maybe more detail. And as she says, it is definitely not safe for work. It's a memoir. It's a memoir. It is called Summer of Sexiness, A Self-Awakening, a memoir. Yes. That's how we know it's a memoir. <laughs> it says it right there. On it's the, right in the title. On the, on the front page. <laughs> and yeah, it's fantastic. And just check it out. Check out all of her work. I imagine after you listen to this, you will be there checking it out because it is, as Emma said, a beautiful story. So Thank you, Jeannie, for coming on, for sharing, and for putting yourself out there in the world so vulnerably. There's one other piece I wanted to mention before no, I'm we sorry we're out of before time. we jump in, <laughs> <laughs> and that was just we do cover a conversation with Jeannie about how she and her husband actually opened their relationship and then closed it again and then reopened it again after some like as they were navigating some of the emotional. Uh, challenges, I guess. So I just wanted to note that because I think it's really neat the way she talks about it. Yeah. I think this whole conversation is pretty amazing. It is. That's not to undercut what you said. No. No. Thank you, Jeannie, (laughs) for everything. And with that, everyone who is a premium subscriber will jump into the interview right now. Am I I allowed to say one more thing? Go for it. (laughs) But now we just... Oh, well, no, but we can... It's okay. We can say that part again. Okay. I just wanted to say there's, there's another conversation here that happens that I think is amazing. And that is around what happens when people who get into non-monogamy via swinging catch feelings. 
Mm, and yeah. this is a conversation that comes up often, and it's one that you probably hear us talk about often. And again, this is no shade to swingers. We did it for a long time, and it's super fun and all of the things. But I think it's just a great look at what happens when you're swinging and maybe you fall in love. Yeah. And not that there's anything wrong with that. Nope. Not at all. Nope. That's all. So the bottom line is we cover a lot of ground in this interview. Yeah. And so are you done talking so we can <laughs> jump into the interview for anybody who's a premium subscriber, Emma? Yes. Let's do that now. And for the rest of you who are not premium subscribers, well, let us tell you how you could become one. You go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. You scroll down on the homepage and you'll see links there to join it. You can join for as little as a couple of dollars a year. And that allows you a few things. Number one, you get to support us and the work we're doing so we can be here in another 100 episodes, maybe even another 300. Mm -hmm. And you get to skip these exciting, amazing ads up front, and you just jump right into the interview, like all of the people that you just heard about. Yes. Again, you can sign up on our homepage, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Next up, we have an exciting event tomorrow night. That's Thursday, August 17th. If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, we are partnering with Bloom Community and hosting a speed dating slash friend dating. No. That's not, that's, that's, not, that's not the word that's I was That's not how for. it works. Speed dating slash friending. So, yes, that was the word. <laughs> not friend dating. Speed dating slash speed friending. Although sometimes, you know, you meet a friend. Friend dating. There's something you, wrong with dating your I friends. I didn't say there was anything wrong with it. That's just not the name of the event. So okay. I thought it would be misleading. Let me try again. <laughs> speed dating slash friending. Did I nail it? You nailed it. Anyway, we're partnering with Bloom, hosting this event tomorrow night in Oakland, California. If you happen to be in the area, we'd love to have you join us. Links to sign up are in the show notes. Yeah, this is going to be somewhat similar to our virtual meet and greets, which many of you have attended or you've heard us raving about. It is going to be a similar type setup up but we're going to be in person and i mean we look pretty good in person if we do say so ourselves yeah we're humble about it but we do and so <laughs> we would love to see all of you and your smiling faces in person as well come out and join us again links will be in the show notes to sign up and you sign up through the bloom app and it's amazing we also realize this is last minute with the event taking place tomorrow, August 17th. However, we plan to do these monthly in Oakland. So even if you're not in the Bay Area, but maybe you know someone who is, please send them our way as well. Yeah, we would love to meet them as well. Mm -hmm. All right. Next up, if you aren't here, again, as we just said, we have other options for you to have community. Yes. That is specifically our virtual community. You hear us talk about it all the time. Because it's so amazing. And we for, love all we love all of you. We love all of you. Yeah, <laughs> all almost 300 of you and growing. And for just a couple of bucks a month, five to be specific, you get an online support community. You get monthly video Q&As. We have a men's group. We have a women's group. And again, as we said, there is an ongoing sort of forum chat all-in-one community platform that is an app on your phone called Mighty Networks that you download and you're in there all day with amazing people just like yourself from all over the world. So yes. we would love to have you join us. Head over to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the community tab and there will be a link right there for you to learn a little bit more and fill out the short application so you can get in on the party. And while you're there checking out the community, you can also look at the weekly groups that we are offering. We Finn has been doing a men's group since last October. I started a women's weekly group in June, and we are so excited about these groups as well. These are also part of their community, the community itself. It's just a little bit extra to join the weekly groups. Yep. 
And last stop before we let you, before we all take you in to talk to Jeannie, <laughs> we wanted to remind everybody that if you're out there meeting other amazing humans all over the world, maybe you're at the speed dating tomorrow, we would highly encourage you to know and be educated on your STI and your sexual health status. And the way that MNI do that, we use a service and have been for many years called stdcheck.com. It's a little fast. It was pretty fast. stdcheck.com. Yeah. Nailed it. There are links in the show notes <laughs> if you thought that was too fast or too slow, perhaps. Mm-hmm. You can find it in the show notes. <laughs> anyway, this is, again, the service MNI use. The links there will save you $10, bringing the cost of a 10-panel test down to $129. Those links also help support the show financially. So that is another way to ensure that we're here for 300 more episodes. And we would love for you to check it out. It's fast. It's easy. It's amazing. And we wouldn't be telling you about it if it wasn't all of those things. Exactly. A quick reminder, reach out to us, send us a voicemail, send us an email. We would love to hear from you. And with that, let's go and talk to Jeannie. Welcome to the podcast, Jeannie. We are thrilled to talk to you today. We're excited to dig into your story. But before we do, just please introduce yourself so we know who you are and everybody else knows who you are and we can start from there. Absolutely. Well, thank you both for having me uh, as a guest today. I'm Jeannie X. I'm the author of Summer of Sexiness, which is a memoir about my journey uh, from sexual shutdown to uh, opening up my marriage and where and all the the good, the bad, and the ugly, and uh, and sort of how that's really gotten me to where I, I want to be today and just having the life that I want. Love it. Well, we are excited to dig in and and hear about it all firsthand from you. So thank you for being here. You're welcome. I'd love to start just, we're going to go back in time, but before we do that, do you mind summarizing like what is your relationship dynamic today? Sure. So I have um, been happily married for uh, 26 years and counting. October will be 27. Congratulations. Um, Thank (laughs) you. Um, And I have a wonderful boyfriend uh, that I will be celebrating two years with uh, the end of this month uh, being June of 2023. Love it. And so to get to this point, we assume it was very simple and you (laughs) you just did it one day. But maybe absolutely as you do. Uh, yeah. Well, maybe take us back to when when did the idea of non-monogamy come up or maybe even before that? What were the the lead up to that? Yeah, yeah. so it's actually I, I think it's better to start from even before that, just so to really understand what my journey has been. You know, I when I was growing up, you know, there was just different messages that you get growing up about sexuality, about sex. I mean you know, I went to a public school, so we learned general information and, you know, how not to get pregnant and where babies come from. And my parents were very open, but, you know, they didn't necessarily cover a lot. Like I never got to talk really about orgasm, for example, or sexual pleasure. It was just about, you know, the The, mechanics of things. The utility of sex. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So, I mean, I was knowledgeable in that way. Um, You know, I started college um, in the late 80s, early 90s, and thought that I was sort of this modern, sexual, comfortable person. But at the same time, it was also a weird time because we were like in the midst of the AIDS crisis. So there was that fear and what was that going to to look like? Um, but, you know, I mean, I waited until I was um, 18 to lose my virginity. Um, it was at that time, it was a with a long-term committed relationship. 
um, my freshman year of college. And so, yeah, I just sort of went about having this sex life with it, within committed relationships uh, and then also um, a little bit of exploration and was after college thinking like, okay, yeah, I, I know like who I am sexually. I know, you know, what I want. And yet when my husband, Victor, and I decided to get together and at the time I was living in New York, he was living in Florida. I moved in with him. I moved from uh, New York to Florida. And suddenly I was like, wait, I have absolutely no libido. Um, I have no interest in sex whatsoever. Uh, Self-pleasure wasn't of any interest either. And so first I thought, oh, it must be birth control pills. So I went off the pill. Then I thought, oh, it must be just the depression of like, I just uprooted my entire life Mm -hmm. and I knew nobody really uh, in South Florida. And this, this was in your twenties, correct? Yeah. So uh, 25 years old. Yeah. And you two had been together for a little bit before you moved down there? Um, So we, I won't go too far on the tangent, (laughs) but my husband and I met in high school. We didn't date in high school though. Mm -hmm. We actually kind of never dated. I had a crush on him. He had a girlfriend. We didn't know about open relationships back in high school. Yeah. 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 Um, And uh, just always wondered what if, and finally uh, in our mid twenties decided to find out what if. So I literally moved down to Florida uh, in June of uh, 95, and we were engaged by November. Wow. 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 Okay. And le- leading up to that move, was was sex and sexuality, were they a bigger part of your life? What I guess the shutdown, what, what you've described as the shutdown, was Yeah, it? so the shutdown didn't really happen until, I didn't. I wasn't aware of the shutdown until after I moved in with him. Okay. Um, you know, I thought that I was having, that I had... I mean, normal. I mean, whatever that really means. But yeah, I mean, I was dating. I was being sexually active with those partners uh, in my early 20s. Um, and I mean, I, I there were things that I did explore with. So, for example, there was one point where I I thought I was being too promiscuous. So I like made myself like I was like, well, you're not going to have sex for like, I don't know. I think I said six months. Like self-imposed punishment. I don't know. Just strange, but because you were getting too much of it. I don't know. I mean, I don't think, I I think it was just faulty conditioning in the sense of what does it mean to be a sexually active person um, that, you know, and not in a committed, not having sex within a committed relationship. And so, you know, I I did some, I did that. Um, But that was just like a, maybe not an aberration, but just one piece of it. But then like when I was in a committed relationship, for example, yeah, I was being sexually active. It felt like it was within the parameters of what I thought everybody else was doing. Um, and so when I moved in with my husband, I mean, he wasn't my husband at the time, but when we moved in Mm -hmm. together and then all of a sudden I was like, wait, why are we not, I've been wanting to be with this person for years we finally can be together and why what's happening, what's going on. So, um, I ruled out the birth control cause that I went off it and that nothing changed. Um, I, you know, gave myself the grace that maybe it's depression. Um, but at the same time, didn't really know what to do about that. And then finally decided to go seek therapy, talk counseling, you know, it was helpful, but it never really had any progress. And I think, you know, looking back at like the time then versus now, um, 
there's a lot more resources out there. You know, there's so many sex therapists, sex coaches, sexuality teachers. Like there's just so much more in this space today than, than there is now that, uh, than there was then, uh, in the basically mid nineties. Um, and so, you know, I think that, you know, had the, had there been more resources, I might've been able to resolve this problem. What I deemed was a problem, uh, mm-hmm. more, uh, quickly. And I simply felt for the really longest time, I was just, I felt a lot of guilt. I felt a lot of shame around sex. I felt the guilt of not being, of not wanting my partner. And I just didn't know what to do. And I, you know, we were just sort of in this place where I was like, this isn't the, this isn't what I wanted for myself. This isn't what I wanted for a marriage. But like for years we went on with like, I, it wasn't a sexless marriage, but it was an undersexed marriage. So, you know, if we had sex, I don't know, 10, 15 times a year, that was kind of average. Again, if that works for a couple, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not what I wanted. And so I just, I even, you know, at one point, because of the guilt, you know, I gave my husband permission to, if he wanted to find somebody else to be sexual with. I mean, and I didn't even, I wasn't even really thinking within like an open marriage context because I just didn't have that awareness. Mm -hmm. Um, But he made it really clear at that time that he'd rather be with me without sex or with limited sex than to be with somebody else. Um, Yeah. One one thing I just wanted to say that I really appreciate about the way you've talked about this uh, is that you're not saying that there is a right way or a wrong way or a right amount or a wrong amount of sex to have in a relationship. And I think it's really the awareness for yourself that it's not what you wanted, right? And maybe somebody's like 10 times a year, that's way too much, right? And you're like, great, then that's way too much for you. But you sort of identified for yourself that it wasn't enough for you. And I think what's what's also so hard about that is this gets talked about so little that you have no mm-hmm. frame of reference. You're moving through the world thinking, I don't know, I'm doing this. This is what everybody's doing. And then if you start talking about it with people, you'll probably get a hundred different answers about what the right amount of sex is if you talk to a hundred different people. And and so I just, I don't know. There's I, no right or wrong. Yeah, there isn't. And <laughs> exactly. I, I just love how you've sort of framed that and not uh, said, well, yeah, this is the right amount. This is the wrong amount, but it's, it's very personal. And I, I don't know, I just really appreciated that perspective. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And yeah, I mean, I just truly believe that, yeah, a hundred different responses and they're all right. Mm-hmm. As long as, as long as the person's happy and healthy and all of that. And so, yeah, it was just this feeling that, I don't know, just this feeling that that's not who I really was or who I was meant to be. And so, you know, at different times I got exhausted of thinking about it and kind of just went on with life as usual. And, and, you know, there's so many other things to worry about in life, Mm -hmm. but, but it was sort of this, this pet project. And, you know, I was in and out of therapy for that reason, but also for uh, seasonal affective disorder and other things and found it to be helpful, but never really moved the needle much in the way that I wanted it to. And so I started to try and get more creative with, with different resources. And as I said, there wasn't the same kind of resources, I think, or at least they weren't as, as, as prevalent. Mm -hmm. Um, but so one of the things that 
um, was one of the early catalysts for my journey was I started taking pole dancing uh, classes as fitness. Um, and I took classes at a studio here in New York, um, starting in, I believe it was 2005 or six. And what was really unique about that particular studio is that we danced basically by the equivalent of candlelight and there's no mirrors in the studio. There's mirrors in the bathroom, but when you're actually in dancing, there's no mirrors because it's not about what it looks like. And the pole was actually only a small piece of the class. It was actually more about sensual movement. And what does that look like to you? Like, what does that feel like in your body? What kind of clothing or music will help you to connect with your sensual side, with your sexuality? And that was such a healing uh, process for me of really being able to step into my my sexuality in a way that I didn't realize I wasn't. Um, And I think you know, one of the best ways for me to, you know, sort of illustrate like the shift. Um, and that was just sort of the beginning piece of it though, is that I can remember decades ago, you know, going on a date with my husband and I was trying to be sexy. And in my, in my, what that meant to me was I had on a garter belt and stockings And we got to the restaurant and we were sitting at the bar having a drink and I'm wearing a short ish skirt. And now I, everyone can see, not that really my head, everyone's looking at me in reality, they're not, but you know, the stockings and the garter belt are showing, I mean, the the stockings, but but the the belts and the straps. And Mm -hmm. so I'm like, the entire time sitting at the bar, pulling my skirt, pulling my skirt, pulling my skirt. I'm so uncomfortable that I'm being sexy, even though I had this idea that I wanted to be sexy. Um, and then, you know, fast forward, not just because of the pole dancing, but like at the end of this journey, being at a play party, wearing nothing but panties and shibari rope Mm -hmm. and being comfortable doing that. So, yeah, yeah, I love it. So yeah, I mean, that journey is, (laughs) it takes time and work and, and absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, going back to that night where you like decided to wear a garter belt and stockings and like, what, what was, was that a starting, like, was that a starting point for you, a turning point for you, do you think around that Um, time, like between that and the pole dancing classes? Yeah. I mean, I can't precisely remember where that dinner fell in with the timeline, to be honest, but if I'm recalling it correctly, what we, what we would do, um, when we were not having a lot of sex is we would try and plan like an entire weekend, like maybe it was like a holiday weekend where you have three, four days and, and make it a sex weekend. And somehow, because it was so concentrated and so focused, like it was easier for me to like sink into that, Mm -hmm. um, side of myself. And so like we would, you know, go out to a nice dinner, maybe Friday night. And then we'd watch sexy movies all weekend. And so that might've been like maybe one of those weekends where it was sort of kind of dropping into that sexy time. And yeah. so, yeah. So wearing the, the garter belt and stockings, yeah. which is, was not, I mean, I wore stockings, but not with a garter belt on a regular basis. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. And you it sounds like you were, the two of you were being intentional about trying to bring that piece to your relationship. But for you, it wasn't 
you wanted more. Right. And it just, it just didn't come as easy. Like, I mean, we were always affectionate, like Mm -hmm. hugging and kissing and, and, and that kind of thing. So there was never that issue. And I never felt that, that the lack of interest in sex was directed because of my partner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was always, it felt like it was always like an internal struggle that I needed to, to address. Yeah. Well, I'm curious, you know, it sounded like pole dancing was maybe something that was a bit of a catalyst to start the ball rolling. Where did, I mean, how did this snowball pick up speed and pick up Mm -hmm. momentum? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I was actually, I danced with that studio for 15 years. Um, it, it closed, uh, during pandemic. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was just, it was really just this, like all of this work because like we would come to class and we would pick different music and really explore, you know, because like sometimes you might think that maybe like, you know, this very, you know, prim and proper kind of lingerie would be what, what feels good to you. But for somebody else, maybe it was more like a hoodie and, um, or something like that. And it was like, so it was playing with music, playing with, with fabric, with clothing. Um, the, the studio, uh, founder, uh, her name's Sheila Kelly. And, uh, she created these icons of based on emotion. So there's like dangerous challenger or, um, the blissful pleaser. And it's like trying to like find your way th- into your own sexuality and sensuality through these different um, icons. And it's not, ne- it's not meant that like you have to adhere to it specifically. It's more mm-hmm. like these are ways to, that you can find it. And generally with like, as if they're like parts of a pizza mm-hmm. uh, pie and that you might have a bigger slice of this piece versus that piece and just trying them on to, to find to what connects best with you and your body. Um, and so, you know, through so many years of, of doing that work, just getting comfortable in my own skin, just starting to really like own my sexuality to be comfortable, to be a sexual being uh, in a way that I wasn't before, that I wasn't even aware that I wasn't. I felt like that really did move things along. Um, I do think we started having sex more frequently, but it's still, I still felt like I'm not where I want to be yet. Um, I didn't have like a, I think for me, what was, what was always missing was that I was like, wait, why don't I have, why don't I, why don't I feel desire for sex, like on a more ongoing basis? And I wasn't even interested again, going back to, I'd said like, like self-pleasure. I I had a self-pleasure practice, but not very frequent. Mm -hmm. Um, just as a like indication to myself of like, where, what's my libido, what's my desire again. And as we said, yeah, that nothing right or wrong, just what I wanted for myself. So I guess now timeline wise, if we talk uh, in about 20 2012, um, I started uh, studying with a woman called uh, Regina Thomashauer. She goes by the uh, moniker Mama Gina. I don't know if you're mm-hmm. familiar with her work. I've, I've heard of her. I, yeah. I see, one, I see one, one head shaking yes yep. and the other shaking no. <laughs> uh, so, Regina Thomashauer, she is the author of the book Pussy, a Reclamation, mm-hmm. and she teaches women's uh, empowerment from a place of pleasure. And so, I went through her programs. Uh, and became a part of the Mama Gina community. Um, and really that was like another yet important turning point. And I had met a lot, I was sort of aware of Mama Gina because I found uh, her book on the shelf of a bookstore years ago by accident, although we 
you could say there are no accidents. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and and I think I even bought the book at the time, but it wasn't until later, like I finally like made the commitment to to take the class, and I um, was so grateful to to do that. And like, she, you know, really like encourages um, self pleasure practice and just even just approaching life from a place of pleasure. I mean, it takes a lot more work to do that. We kind of go on autopilot and we just do like the not pleasurable things. Um, but, you know, just to take that extra time to really, you know, make sure that you're, you know, maybe it's maybe it's just that you're, you know, putting on. It's not that you have to put on makeup, but like, you know, but if you know you feel better in makeup, like take the extra two minutes and do it. And, you know, that kind of thing or just even, you know, just having fun and taking pleasure in, you know, being, being your full self. Like if you're like talking with the the person at the counter at the deli, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like a flirtation of not like I'm trying to like woo this person, but I'm just having fun being in their company and sharing that. So things like yeah. that. Um, so she has a whole bunch of, of practices and that really started to like further um, generate more libido in me. And also just yet another eradicating another layer of shame because of some of the the practices. Um, That's amazing. I think there there's, uh, I picked up a parallel between what you just described there and that experience with what you also experienced in the dance studio, which is Mm -hmm. it's, you said, right, maybe put makeup on if that's what feels good, or maybe it's sexy laundry, but you also said it's maybe it's a hoodie, right? Maybe it's something completely different and it's everybody finds what works for them and then is encouraged to embrace that. And so if, if what's sexy for you is completely not sexy for somebody else, like that doesn't make it wrong. And you, you get to show up and be you and maybe that's makeup. Maybe it's not, maybe it's taking a shower. Maybe it's not showering for three days, whatever it is. Right. And, and Mm -hmm. leaning into that. And it sounds like that was the encouragement you were getting from, like this whole throughout this whole journey. Absolutely. Yeah. It was, is that those types of encouragements as well as, you know, trying to, to undo so many of the mixed messages that we get from Mm -hmm. society, you know, it's like be sexy, but no, don't be sexy because then you're not, you know, wife material or even like, you know, not too sexy. Right. (laughs) But even like, you know, like, and one of the things like, you know, that I used to joke about when I was feeling like when I was early on in my marriage, it was like, what does it look like to be sexy and a wife? And I like joke that maybe I saw uh, too many episodes of Donna Reed, you know, with <laughs> husband and a wife in the, the twin beds, you know, with separated by a nightstand. But yeah, I mean, I just didn't even have this, this visual image of what does that look like? Um, and so, you know, that was, I think, just one more piece to the the layers. So, but yeah, for sure, like going through the pole dancing and then uh, going through Mama Gina's program, um, really helping me to to identify where I had shame around my sexuality um, and trying to overcome that and just become, like I said, be comfortable in my own skin and to be comfortable being a sexy sexual being, um, which was really what I was hoping to embrace and then starting to really to fuel my that 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 desire of, of having a more ongoing libido. And one of the, the, that kind of brings me to sort of the, the last piece of that in terms of the, the journey, um, is that when I was in more actively involved in the Mama Gina community, I started meeting 
people who had open relationships. And this was really the kind of the first time I'd ever really been exposed to that or heard about it. And I remember um, being, uh, I was at a, actually a, a presentation that I'd gotten to through there with um, Jaya, who is a sex educator. She's a mm-hmm. so- somatic sex worker, not sex worker, excuse me. She's a somatic sex educator. Um, and she, I, while I was there, I just met this woman. And so she said she had a boyfriend and that her husband had a girlfriend. And, it, and but it was also clear that she and her husband still loved each other and wanted to be in a relationship. This wasn't like, a, you know, some sort of condoned cheating or something mm-hmm. like that. And it, it was very fascinating to me because I really hadn't had any of that type of exposure. And it was just not in my awareness. And kind of mold it around for a while. And for some reason I was like, maybe that's the capstone to this whole thing. I don't know why. I mean, like, I can't even explain like what, like if I was like, well, I think it's going to be because of X, Y, and Z that it's going to happen. But I just like really felt like there's something here to be explored. And so let's give this some consideration. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I ha- sat down with Victor and I, I said, Hey, like, I've been like hearing about people who have open relationships and, you know, he did not run from the room screaming. So that was a first good sign. But what was interesting too, is that we found that the more we talked about it and maybe it was more just because we were taking the time to be intimate and vulnerable, but that t- even though we were talking about other people, it was pulling us closer together. Yeah. Um, so we talked about it for four years before anything happened. I was going to say, um, like, timeline-wise, when was this? Um, so this, probably the first conversation was maybe 2014, 2015. Yeah, okay. And, and then four years of conversation and learning. Yeah, and I mean, it wasn't like, it t- you know, it wasn't like we talked about it every day. It right. was just like, we yeah. could come back to it and be like, yeah, okay. And, you know, what's interesting to me is as an academic, I have a doctorate. Um, so I'm no stranger to reading and research. It never occurred to me to do any of it in advance. It just never occurred to me that there would be, obviously there's lots of books out there, but it just never occurred to me to look for one, to read about it. We would just talk about it and, and just make sure that, that, uh, Victor and I were in agreement that this is what we were going to do. So we got to this place at some point in that three to four year thing where we were in agreement that, we were we were willing to do this, and we both had consent and 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 all of that. But I like to joke that you know when you decide to buy a car, it's really clear, right? You're going to go to the car dealership. So I'm going to buy a car. I'm going to go look at a car and buy a car. We're going to open our relationship. Well, we didn't know what that <laughs> I mean. Like, okay, what does that mean? So we so we were we. We were in agreement, but nothing happened uh, until uh, a friend of mine uh, who used to throw these amazing uh, erotic parties. Um, I'd been hearing about them. So I know her from the Mama Gina community and I'd been hearing about her parties and that they were really welcoming and a great place to explore. And so um, I decided I would go and uh, a friend of mine was also interested in going and she lives... uh, in New Hampshire. I live in New York. The party was in New York. So she came down for the weekend so she can go to the party with me. And Victor was supposed to go to the party with me as well. We were going to go as a couple. 
Um, and then he came down with laryngitis. So he did not go to the party. Um, but we also kind of got the sense that my friend was probably happy. Like, not that she doesn't care about him. She would have been fine. But I think just said, like for us to be a little bit more like keeping tabs on each other and going mm -hmm. as buddies, uh, just because neither of us had ever been in this kind of an environment before. She's also from the Mama Gina community. So like, she's not like uncomfortable around sex and sexy issues, but this was completely new territory. In fact, like the next day um, when we were t retelling the story to, to my husband at breakfast and we're like, yeah, it took us a lot longer to get there. He was like, no, it didn't. You guys were so nervous. You like kept delaying your departure. <laughs> 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 but yeah, so we got to the party. Um, and again, going back to like my comfort level, my skin, even though this w was a very new experience, I didn't know what to expect. Um, the theme was pink. I had gone out and bought all new pink lingerie. And I very early on in the party, like, you know, took off my street clothes, uh, you know, mm -hmm. so a little challenging to wear just lingerie on the subway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can kind of get away with anything in New York City, but, you know. That's not necessarily the best idea. Yeah, well, and plus you exactly. don't know what you're going to sit in, so you want to you wanna right. keep an extra <laughs> layer between you and the seat. Right, <laughs> yeah. But I so, I, yeah, I was wearing um, five-inch heels, uh, just the lingerie and a skirt over it. And yeah, so, I mean, I was comfortable in that respect. And early on, I met this this guy and he was helping kind of like introduce everybody and, you know, here's where you, you know, it's a BYO party. So here's where you put mm -hmm. your, if you're bringing alcohol, here's where you would put it. Here's, you know, just the lay of the land and, and all of that. And the way that my friend would throw these parties is, you know, you'd show up, you know, if, if the party started at 10, you know, obviously people start to trickle in around 10. And then once there's about a critical mass, usually like 11, 11.30, then she would, you know, have a more formal structure to it with a ritual, an erotic dance or some sort of erotic presentation or performance, uh, consent talk, and, and then, you know, sort of open, open things up more, more explicitly. But so early on, I was just chatting with the, this guy who was sort of helping greet everybody and asked, you know, can I touch your arm? Yes. Uh, can I give you a massage. Yes. Uh, can I kiss you? And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> At this point, I haven't kissed anybody, but my husband in 20 some odd years. So it was not an inappropriate question, but it was just, I was like, uh, no, <laughs> um, it's a lot it, to take in. It was a lot. Um, I did later give him consent to kiss me, but yeah, that was, it was definitely like breaking a boundary. Um, just because it was so, yeah, novel. Um, and I did spend a lot of time at the party with him, getting to know him. Um, and he asked for my number and I gave it to him. And uh, so we we did start, we, we went out on a couple of dates after that. Um, so that was sort of the, that's that party is the date that my husband and I joke is our polyversary. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I love that. And I, I'm curious, like, there's so many questions I have about this because <laughs> I think that there was a question that I had come or a comment question observation around just the, and I want to be careful here to say the support that your husband has given, not the 
allow like it's not like he's allowing you to do any of these things right it's there's there's actual support in that and i think the part that stood out to me even earlier was in sort of the way you told us it was never your husband coming to you and saying i'm not getting enough sex why don't you fix this why aren't you figuring this out what are you doing about this because i need more sex it was it seemed like this was very collaborative journey of you know early on he said i don't i don't I would rather be with you without sex than with somebody else. And and it sounds like he was not heaping pressure on you to fix something that that you felt was maybe broken, but it sounds like maybe he didn't have that same perspective. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, he would agree. I mean, we both agree. Yeah, he never put pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are times when, you know, he was probably more sexually frustrated than he let on. Sure, um, sure. but, but he never put pressure. Absolutely. Um, there were times, you know, looking back where maybe I put pressure on myself and maybe engaged in penetrative sex at a time when I shouldn't have been, sure. um, I didn't have that aware, that self-awareness at the time. Um, yeah. it's only ha- having read books and, and, and also gone, gone through this journey and on this side of it that I can look back and be like, Oh, because I can remember very distinctly. Uh, so, um, a friend of mine, Madeline Castellano, she wrote a book called Wanting to Want. And I remember reading that book um, probably around 2015. And she writes about, I'm not going to get it precisely correct because it's been a long time since I read it, but about how like you can be having sex with somebody and you're like kind of dissociated, you know, where you're not even really like you're you're, obviously you're there, but you're like so not in your body Mm -hmm. and your head is somewhere else. And, and that's very rarely could that be pleasurable for anybody. And I, I know that there's a, a number of times when I was in that situation because I put myself in a situation, not because sure. my husband put pressure or any of that. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Well, and, and I think then fast forwarding to you two have been talking about this opportunity, this, this strategy of opening your relationship for three to four years and the night arrives and you sort of go by yourself. And he throws some support behind that to say, I can't go, I'm sick. But but that doesn't mean we both have to stop. And and then you get to go. And not only do you just go to a party, like it seems like it's a, it's a play party, there's kissing, there's touch. And it was going to be this big experience that you shared in person together. And instead, you shared it together, but with a little bit different, I guess, experience around the whole thing. And I, I think that's an amazing... I just think it's a, a big deal, right? Like going to a sex party, most people would be like, that's a crazy thing to do. And your husband showed up and was like, please go by yourself with this friend. And I can't wait to hear about it tomorrow, even though I want to be there. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for acknowledging that. Um, yeah. You know, and it's, what's interesting is like a number of things about that is for whatever reason, um, when we thought about opening up, I know a lot of people when they first decide to open up, I don't know, maybe in my head, a lot of people, I don't know what really the statistics are, but it does seem that often if a couple decides to open their, their relationship, they might go the swinging route or Mm -hmm. they might, you know, think that maybe they're going to find a third person, but it's like, it seems to me, it's more common to be more of a shared experience. And it wasn't that we were going to have this like completely separate experience, but at the same time, like it, those aspects never occurred to me. It always was more like, oh, we're going to 
have our own experiences and then share about them. Mm-hmm. Um, again, not sure why that was sort of maybe just because I'd met that woman who had the boyfriend and the, yeah, wife yeah. And the girlfriend. And so maybe that, that shaped that, but yeah. So that next morning, aside from the joke that he made about us, you know, <laughs> taking yeah. forever to leave, um, we told him, you know, we told him everything that happened and all of a sudden, like I was feeling so much desire and it really was, it was just from being in like that sexy environment and just getting that attention. You know, I hadn't really had attention from a guy like that in a really long time. Um, you know, cause I hadn't been dating since, you know, Mm-hmm. the dark ages and all of that. <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, like I, like seriously, like that, those first two weeks, like I kind of felt like my body was like completely aflame and I was like just super excited and wanting to, and, but not necessarily wasn't about the guy I met at the party as much as I was, obviously I liked him, but it was me then sharing the story with Victor the next day and then being really turned on. And then, really igniting the, the sexual chemistry between Victor and me. And so like, it was doing exactly what I wanted it to do in the sense of like, I wasn't doing this to, to with the, you know, within the framework of like, I want to open marriage. It was, I want to open marriage to have sex in my marriage. (laughs) So, um, so it, it felt like it was, you know, it was a success from that perspective. Um, and, and it just, yeah. And then it's, it launched. So that party was in May of 2018. Um, and then the next party, she said the parties on a monthly basis. And then the next party was in June on, um, um, and Victor was away on a, a business trip, so he could not go yet again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that was, you know, uh, and at that point I'd been on like one or two dates with the guy from the first party and he was going to be at the second party. And he came to that world from, from a swinger, the swinger world. So he had met, uh, my friend who, who, who threw the parties, she used to swing with the per- the person mm-hmm. that she was with at the time. And so that that's how they knew him, et cetera. So, um, so he, so I, I made it clear, like, okay, I'm going to be at the party, but like, I want, I want to like, we're not going as a couple, like we'd only been on two dates and, um, I was still like, just what is all this all about and everything. Yeah. yeah you're and, still very much figuring it out. <laughs> right. And so I, I was just really enjoying like the sexy vibe and just exploring. And so one of the other things that she always would have as part of her parties is like she'd have a shibari person there. So if you wanted to feel like what it was like to be tied, you could mm-hmm. explore that. Or you sometimes she had a, someone who um, like came with like seven different floggers and you could see what that all felt like um, or sensual massage and things like that. So it was sort of like a little like you could get a taste of different sensual experiences um, that you might not um, ever have, you know, had had. had uh, may never have had the opportunity to explore previously and you're doing it in a safe supported space. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I always really loved about those events. But yeah, so the, the first time I didn't uh, get tied up by the Shibari person, 
And I had a little regret about that. So the second time I was like, oh, I'm going to get tied up by the shibari person. But the line was really long. And I didn't really want to spend the entire party waiting online. Um, so I figured, all right, I won't uh, at that time. But the the guy, uh, sorry, I can't, is, we just call him H for sure. clarity's <laughs> sake. So H introduced me to uh, his friends, um, Jake and Mia, and they were uh, swingers and I'm just chatting with them. And I was telling them, yeah, I was, I wanted to get tied by the Shabari guy, but I don't want to wait in line. And blah, blah, blah. I said, well, well, do you want to get chained? And I was <laughs> like, wait, what? <laughs> and do you mean now? And they were like, yeah. So <laughs> apparently they had a whole bag of tricks, so to speak. Um, so I had my own private, ex well, it wasn't private because it was <laughs> in, in, in the context of the party and um, next to the Shabari guy on the same like platform. But uh, yeah, so they blindfolded me. They had these chains and they uh, chained my arms uh, behind my back and they asked my uh, consent to take my, um, I had on a, a leotard or you know, bodysuit to take that down and they put on a nipple clamp. I'd never had a, experienced a nipple clamp before. And, and then there was the sudden cacophony of sensations of, I don't even remember all the details, but then I started to feel a little bit, um, lightheaded. I think a combination of like the overwhelm and overstimulation mm -hmm. and standing in five inch heels and all of that. So I did uh, ask them to stop, <laughs> but, uh, but it was just this really incredible, um, experience. And that was, you know, just the start of like really getting to explore so much more sexual experiences than, than I, I ever anticipated. Um, you know, even like just going into this, like, Oh, let's open our relationship so we can, you know, date other people. Mm -hmm. Um, and, mm -hmm. and that's sort of why that, and then like within the same month I went to, I was just, I love going to the beach and I put out in the community, I'm going to the beach on Saturday I, I'm going by myself, but I would love company. So if you want to go to the beach, let me know. And my friend reached out and she said, um, I'm going to the beach. I'd love to go with you. But I go to uh, Gunnison uh, Beach, which is in Sandy Hook, New Jersey, in the national park there. And it's a clothing optional. And I had never been to that type of uh, environment before. But I was like, OK, sure, whatever. And I figured I'd just wear my bathing suit the whole time, but it was so comfortable. Like I, I only had it on for like 15 minutes, but it was just really this cut. So it's like all these parties and then the nude beach. And I was like, yeah, it's the summer of sexiness. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That all kind of kicked off, but yeah, it really, you know, that was really the start of everything. Um, and then we had really wonderful experiences and really negative experiences and, and all of that. So, um, yeah, as you, I'm happy to share, I'm just kind of giving you a sense yeah, of where yeah. we are in this whole timeline. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's great. And, um, of course we'd love all the stories, but we also don't need this to be like a four hour podcast, but of course, yeah, maybe that's someday. part two. That's, that's part, part two. two. <laughs> um, I love all the stories, but I think that like the way you painted that too, is very much, you know, your husband was there and present as far as like supportive of you and, uh, like 
there for the conversations and everything, but it was really your individual journey that summer, it sounds like, with him closely there, but you really having these experiences, discovering some maybe liberation in yourself and undoing some of the shame and just going on that journey that I imagine then when you started doing things together more, I'm putting words in your mouth, but that, that that was such a foundation that you needed to go on that journey to potentially get to where you were. So, yeah, I mean, and that's like a really good segue in terms of sort of like what happened next. So basically like for the first year, Mm -hmm. um, I was having a lot more experiences than he was. Um, we both started uh, going on dating apps. I don't know, maybe the fall of the first year um, and then into the winter. So like, and I'd never done a dating app before again, dating in the dark ages. So <laughs> that was a whole new experience. And, you know, I think for what I've heard um, and what was our experience is that for a lot of men, the dating apps are, are more challenging. So I was getting a lot of, of, of interest and dates and he wasn't getting as much. We did eventually go to uh, the party together, you know, and, and because I had had more experience, like we had this agreement that, that I was going to be more of the wing woman for him and also like give him the space to do what he wanted and not like necessarily like get involved in with five other things and not necessarily that I should have a bad, like he wasn't like, don't have a good time, but you know, but like, let's kind of, can we focus on me? And I was happy to do that. And he did have like a really lovely experience. He met somebody, um, and it didn't go where we had hoped it would go, but like, you know, but he enjoyed the party and, and, and things like that. But yeah, I definitely had a lot more momentum in that first, that first year, year plus. And um, we, then by that fall, like I got to this place where I was like, well, I'm feeling like a little bit of a revolving door where like you go like on two or three dates with somebody and then eventually they ghost you and you're not really, you know, that, which I can't stand. I don't understand, you know, just tell me I'm, I joined a seminary. I found someone with bigger boobs. I don't care. (laughs) I don't care. Just say say goodbye. (laughs) You know, I have to wonder, are they trapped under heavy furniture? I don't know. So anyway, um, so I had this idea in my head that I kept saying like, oh, I want to find a boyfriend, but I never, I never truly defined what I meant. Um, in my head, that just meant a consistent person. I wasn't going to, I do nothing wrong with one night stands. If you, but like, you want to know it's a one night stand and not have it turn into a one night stand by, uh, you know, accident, if you will. Um, but also, yeah, it was just like, I think it'd be more fun to, to get to know somebody and have you get to explore their body and they get to explore your body and just to get to know someone like that better. Um, so that was sort of, I, it became kind of a, a mission. Um, but you really can't put like find boyfriend on your to-do list. <laughs> I tried, you know, I did. I had one one week where I went on five first dates. That's exhausting. I don't recommend that. Um, <laughs> That's a lot. It's a lot. And but that fall of 2019, on a particular day, my husband had a date. I had a date. Uh, two separate dates, two separate locations, um, and. He was really, I, I was feeling really good about the date I had. He was feeling really good about the date he had. And four or five weeks later, 
I could be, uh, I'm not remembering it precisely. So it could be as many as eight weeks. I will, mm. I will give him that. Um, one night he said, I'm in love with Justina. And I said, what? It never, this is the, my naivete, but it never occurred to me that one of us could fall in love with somebody else. And so that is the, the start of the, the ugly, the good, the bad, and the ugly part of our, of our journey uh, into ethical non-monogamy. Um, and, you know, it was like, I'd been having like all of this, like more casual kinds of encounters mm -hmm. and he really hadn't had a lot of experience. And then he goes from zero to 60 in you know mm -hmm. two seconds. And after I stopped crying, <laughs> Uh, I mean, and throughout the whole thing, like, you know, he, he, you know, it, to his credit, he never meant to hurt me. He never, he, and we didn't have a rule that you couldn't do that. So he didn't, he never did anything outside of our boundaries. He never did anything wrong, but that was a really, really hard thing for me. And the next, honestly, the next year was a roller coaster where I would go from very depressive points to euphoria and everything in between and just trying to figure out what does that mean to share just, sh you know, cause I truly believe that my husband is my soulmate that our, our, you know, bond is ordained by the universe. And I still feel that way. And I did start to question that, um, during this period. And also just, there was a, even though like he never did anything, I physically felt like his presence left. It was very, very strange in that sense, like to be able to describe that, but yeah, it was, it was hard. Um, and I felt really guilty because he's like, well, you've had all this experience and now you're going to try and tell me to shut this down. And so I was like, okay, I'll give you six months and I won't say anything. And, um, and we'll just, you know, I'll be fine. Um, but I wasn't fine. Mm -hmm. And, um, after, you know, going spiraling and cycling through this uh, happy, sad, happy, sad, um, I mean, and we would, we were fighting a lot. We would have the same fights all the time. That's not us. We really, of course, every couple has disagreements, but we really don't fight. And like, we were just like, yeah, really having a lot of of arguments and, and getting upset with each other. And it just really felt crummy. And I finally got to a point, it was like really just about a, a little over a year ago, of, I'm sorry, a year of, of all that, a year from him saying, I'm in love with person, you know, and to that. And I said, I can't do this anymore. Um, and I'm not telling you to break up with her. What I'm telling you is if you are, if you're truly polyamorous, I, I'm not going to, I, I respect that. I'm not asking you to change who you are. I'm choosing me and I can't do this anymore. And I, I thought we were potentially going to get divorced. And that was like the hardest thing for me um, because I, my love for him had never changed, but I just, I couldn't put myself through that. And so um, we talked about it and we had, we had started couples counseling around then. And he said that he didn't want to like lose me and that we wanted to get to this place where like, let's really focus on us and work on this. And so if we do get to a place where we're like, okay, we're going to get divorced, we know we, we, 
we tried everything and didn't give up on each other in our relationship. Uh, and so we closed our marriage uh, in late October, early November of 2020. And we did all the hard work. Um, we, we went to couples counseling. Uh, I had my own individual therapist. I realized I had abandonment trauma um, from uh, basically like attachment issues with my mom and that I was not aware of. Um, and just some self-esteem issues that, you know, were maybe masked when everything was fine. But then when now that now I have, you know, competition and, uh, not, you know, and it was also, it was like the, the total cliche just by accident because my husband's girlfriend was, you know, 29, 30 and I'm, you know, 50. So it's like, mm -hmm. you're leaving me for the younger one. He wasn't leaving me. He never said he was leaving me. It's just, your brain goes, you know, of course, my yeah. brain, my brain goes there. Uh, so, um, but yeah, we, we really worked really hard, um, with our communication with, with just, you know, and he broke up with her. I know it was like one of the hardest things he ever had to do. I was seeing someone at the time, um, that I broke up with as well. And we just like really focused on, on rebuilding our marriage and really recreating what we wanted, uh, for our marriage. And so by February of 2021, we were in a much better place. Um, I also did some journey work, uh, with, uh, psilocybin to really work on my shadows and, and really overcome some final demons. And, you know, it was during that trip that, um, I literally felt my husband's like presence come back into my body. And it was just this beautiful healing feeling of like, yeah, we're, we're solid again. And then we opened back up in March of 2021. And in June of 2021, we were um, on vacation uh, for for the first time in forever, because of course locked down, um, mm -hmm. and we were in California. Um, we were in uh, the LA area, um, part partially um, just because we wanted to get away, and it's a wonderful place to visit. And partially, uh, my husband has some colleagues uh, from the EDM uh, community, and so one of the nights, um, he and his fellow writers, we were all getting together at uh, a brewery, and. I, I came along and eventually I ran out of topics because I'm not in the EDM community. Uh, I appreciate some of the music, but it's not my passion. So I was on, uh, I was just off by myself fussing with the dating apps <laughs> and, <laughs> and I broke one of my own rules, which was to click on somebody who didn't have an actual photo. It was a photo of a martini glass. But that had been one of my rules because if you, if you can't show yourself on the dating app, I, well, one, I don't know if I'm, you know, in, I've, I've, after like an, enough trial and error, I got really clear with myself that I could tell from a picture generally, like if I would feel chemistry and it's not that the person was not attractive or attractive. Cause like there were times I went out with the person where I would say the person's attractive, but like I could just, there's no. Mm -hmm. It just never felt that chemistry. And that's, that was important to me. Mm -hmm. Um, but anyway, so I click on this, this dating on this, this profile of, of the martini glass. Um, and it was actually, it was uh, the way it was written was written as like a couple's 
uh, profile. And one thing that Victor and I were really keen on was we thought it'd be great to meet another couple and to have, you know, not as a swinging, but like as a, like everyone's playing. And, you know, one of the things that has also come out of this whole experience and journey is really stepping into, as I said, sexual, sexual exploration. But I had always had this interest or the thought that, you know, I might be bisexual and never had had those had had the opportunity to explore that in a way that, um, and I finally did have uh, that opportunity. So I, you know, I do consider myself heteroromantic, but bisexual. And um, Victor also considers himself, he likes, he prefers to use the term queer, um, Mm -hmm. but he does have partners of all genders and, and, and permutations. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we thought, yeah, wouldn't it be great if there was this couple and everyone clicked and all of that. So I was like, oh, maybe this could be that couple. But so I went out, I actually, it turned out like that person, it was, they were kind of thinking that they would do it as a couple, but really like, I didn't know the backstory at the time, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't meant to be like bait and switch, but it, it kind of turned out that way. But for the right reasons, not like catfishing. But anyway, uh, so I went on a date with, uh, with this person. And, um, and that was June of 2021. And so, as I said at the sort of the beginning, uh, we're coming up on our two-year anniversary. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's been such an exploration also of like, what is it? it? I was really guarded after the whole experience with Victor falling in love with Justina. Like I was, I, I held myself back. I didn't even know if I could fall in love with more than one person. Um, in the very beginning of all of this, I would have said there's three kinds of love. There's familial love. You love your parents. You love your sister. You love your aunt. There's friendship love, which means I'll watch your cat when you're on vacation, even mm-hmm. though I don't like cats. <laughs> and then there's soulmate love, mm-hmm. romantic love you have for your your you know committed partner. And so there's no room. That's, I think that's why, like when he fell in love with Justine, I was like, well, you're not, she's, she's not your sister. (laughs) At the time she didn't have cats. She now has two cats, but you know, so, and, and I'm your soulmate. So where does this doesn't compute? Um, I've, you know, I've, I've Googled the word love so many times. Um, Google told me to stop. No. Um, but you know, the, 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 the Greeks have like nine words for love. Yeah. And, you know, the same way, like we talk about, like, you know, the Eskimos have multiple words for ice and snow. You know, we use the same word love. It's four letters. And we say, I love ice cream. Mm-hmm. I love swimming. I love you. And it's supposed to mean the same thing, but it doesn't all mean the same thing. And so, you know, it's been really interesting to explore all the permutations of love. And I didn't, I didn't tell my boyfriend that I loved him until we'd been going out for over a year. And he didn't, I didn't expect him to say it back and he didn't. Um, It took him another couple months. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. And so that's where, (laughs) that's my journey. Um, My boyfriend and I have sex like four times every date. And Mm -hmm. I finally have the sexual life that I always wanted. And I, it's very unusual, you know, journey to get there. Um, but I'm excited and happy and yeah. healthy and all of that. Yeah. Wow. Um, so many questions still, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that 
a couple of, I guess, a couple of important questions sure. I'm curious about. Um, did your husband get back with the girlfriend he broke up with? Um, so they, they took a complete break from one another. She asked to have absolutely no communication. Um, they did get back in touch with each other. Um, I'm not going to remember precisely the, they're not dating. They are very good friends. She's actually for the very first time in her life, uh, attempting monogamy, but they are, he still, you know, loves her. Uh, I don't think he's in love with her at this moment. Um, he might disagree. Um, and that's okay. Um, but I, you know, when they started to get back together in contact, um, as friends, I made it really clear that I was in a really healthy place and I wasn't putting any boundaries or limitations on what that friendship could be or could evolve to be. Um, so at the moment, you know, it's, it's not, there's nothing there, um, Mm -hmm. because of her, her choices, but yeah, I'm glad that they're, yeah, they went out, um, Sunday night to a, a rave. Cool. Yeah. Uh, and then my other like logistical type question is more like, did your, is your boyfriend living in your city or is it a long distance relationship? Um, so it's, it's, it's not quite long distance. He lives in Connecticut. Um, so it takes me two hours to get there because I've got to take the subway to the bus, to the train. Um, when he drives me home, it's about 45 minutes. Um, uh, and, uh, he, you know, at least for now he's in Connecticut. Um, he, maybe moving in four years when his contract is up. Uh, but we'll worry about that. But then it would be to potentially to Tennessee and that's a whole other. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Cross that bridge later. (laughs) Exactly. I love it. I I had a a few thoughts that I just wanted to maybe share as well. And and more more questions, Mm -hmm. of course. But the first one is I, I know earlier I was kind of saying, you know, I was impressed with the support that Victor showed up with and was able to give on this journey. But I I didn't want that to take away from your own personal journey and your own personal work of, you know, going to the studio, coming into yourself. And then like, yes, he said, I support you to go to this first party, but you also had to be like, I'm going to go to this first party (laughs) pretty much by myself. And yes, I have a girlfriend there, but I'm pretty much going by myself. And then to do it again and to step into that, that's no small feat. Um, especially sort of coming from the shame you were, you were sort of unknowingly swimming in. And the, mm-hmm. so I just, I just wanted to really celebrate that because I think oh, that was important. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And, and I think also just the, the piece around, you know, when you first started telling your story for the first 40 minutes of it, it was this, we, I wanted to, I wanted to quote unquote, fix the sex problem in our relationship and I went and did these things and it was amazing and it was amazing and it was amazing. And then it was like, uh-oh, uh-oh, there was a, <laughs> there was a catch here. And I think that is a very relatable that, yeah. you know, the, I kept thinking this thought of people often say, well, if you open your relationship to try to fix it, you're, you're making a big mistake. And we, we hear that all the time. And I, in some ways I agree. And in some ways I very much disagree, but I think where I disagree is your example is a beautiful one. It, it did quote unquote fix it. You have wound up here, but I don't believe you wound up here necessarily because you opened your relationship. I think that was a path that showed you whatever a year and a half or two ago, oh shit, there's something here that I've been ignoring. And then you both went to work on yourselves and on your partnership. And I think my perspective was, and often is non-monogamy is a 
is one of the lenses you can shine on your relationship that forces you to see all of your own demons and maybe all of the demons that are hiding under the carpet of your partnership. And are there other ways to, to find those? I think so, for sure. But I know non-monogamy is one that we see often. It's a, it, it shines a light on there whether you want it to or not. You think, well, I don't have anything going on with me. I'm ready. I'm solid. I don't get jealous. And then pretty soon you're huddled up in the fetal position in the corner going, what the fuck is happening to my life? And then you did the work, right? You did the work on yourself, on your partnership to come out the other side and create something that works for both of you. And I just, I think that's awesome as well and and to be celebrated. And so I, those and to acknowledge that it's ongoing work too, yeah. right? Like mm-hmm. there's there was a maybe in a period of intense, intense work, but that doesn't mean you can just in all of us and be complacent in life, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, sure, yeah. I mean, like some of the things that like we came up with when we were going through formal couples counseling were like even just things like you know connecting every time. So like at least for the last year plus, I think it's about two years now, like almost every morning, like we sit down over coffee and we check in with each other. I mean, sometimes it's just the logistics of what we're having Mm -hmm. for dinner, but Mm -hmm. other times, you know, you know, how are you feeling about me and my boyfriend? You know, are are you and I feeling connected? Things like that, because we don't want to get to a problem. Um, you know, and I, I mean, I, you know, going back to like, you know, the, like can, you know, non-monogamy, like, yeah, in terms of fixing or not fixing, whatever. I mean, I did think we had a really solid relationship. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, when the very beginning, like those talks in the, you know, in that first three to four years, you know, we said, well, we're so solid. We have this strong, strong foundation. So we can kind of go out on this path. And then if it doesn't work out, we can come back. Mm-hmm. And that was always sort of our agreement. And yet once he was in love with Justina, I was like, well, we can just close this. And he was like, uh, no, we can't. Mm-hmm. I'm going to resent you. I'm going to be mad at you. And, and that wasn't, I was like, well, that's not going to solve it either. If like, okay, we get rid of her, but now he's, mm-hmm. I, obviously we'd never get rid of a person. It was always meant with respect, but I was trying to figure out, you know, what yeah. to deal well, with the situation. And, um, and so, yeah, that was, that was tough to figure out. Okay. What are we going to do? And that's why I think it did go on so long of me trying to be like, okay, I'm giving you the space. I'm, I don't want you to resent me. And that's why I made it really clear when I, when I came to him that I was choosing me, that I wasn't asking him to choose me over her or her over me. Mm-hmm. And that I was giving him the space to, to continue to, to live a polyamorous life, but that I, I needed to make myself healthy. Mm-hmm. And that if I, if, if we couldn't do that together, then I was going to need to let him go, even though I didn't want to. Yeah. I, I love that you brought that up in, in the point around, you know, getting quote unquote, getting rid of Justina or what you said around, you know, I thought, well, we could do this. We're strong. We can maybe get out a little over our skis, but we can always, we can always come back to us. And I, I it made me think back to your car buying analogy and the difference, right. Of cars and people, right. You say, well, we're going to go buy a brand new Ferrari. And then you realize, well, we didn't quite have the bank account for the Ferrari, so we're going to sell the Ferrari, and the Ferrari's feelings aren't going to be hurt. Uh, you might lose some money on it, but but the Ferrari's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not the same as, hey, person, I'm building a relationship with you. I fell in love with you. It's really hard on my marriage, so now you need to go away so I can fix my marriage and my relationship. Those are very different 
experiences to have and to navigate them with with grace and kindness and love. And I mean, I think I wanted to celebrate too, Justina, for you know saying I need a complete break to take care of myself, but then to be able to come back at a later date and say, yeah, we've all we've all done some work, we've all gone on a journey. What what can we be now? And maybe it's friends today, maybe it's not tomorrow. But I just I think that was a really beautiful thing you pointed out there about navigating the we're just going to experiment, but oh shit, the experiment now involves other people's feelings, and that's not an experiment that you get to control on your own anymore. Sure. Yeah, I love that. I just mm-hmm. thought that was important mm-hmm. to bring up too. Yeah, no, very much so. You know, I know that we could talk to you for hours and hear all of these stories, and hopefully, we can maybe do another uh, part two at some point. But I just thank you for your vulnerability and for sharing everything that you have today. We would love for you to plug your book and tell everybody about it and any other work that you would like to get out there. Sure. So when all of this started, I started keeping a blog. Uh, As I said, I uttered early on that it was the summer of sexiness because that's what it felt like. And so that became the blog, Summer of Sexiness. And I started to keep really detailed entries of party X and party Y and date A and B and C and all of that. And that at a certain point, um, maybe a few months into that, we got this idea that Victor should also be writing blog posts. And it was particularly fun if we'd been to the same event and we'd be like, he said X and she said Y. Um, so you could get the different perspectives. And it was just really fun. And I got to this sense of like, you know, there's a book here. And I wasn't sure really what the arc was initially. Um, but then I, I had an experience. I was like, okay, this is the arc. I'm going to start writing the book. And then all of the shit hit the fan. And I was like, oh, no, this is a much bigger book. Um, (laughs) But it's called Summer of Sexiness, um, A Self-Awakening. It was originally going to be A Sexual Awakening, but after the rest of the experience, I realized it was a self-awakening of really, you know, stepping into much more than just my sexual health. Um, And so it's a memoir. Um, I... I go back to sort of the early messages and sort of what happened all throughout my childhood and, and, and early adulthood to lead to that point. And then, you know, what my marriage was like and, and, and some of the stories I've shared, um, it's definitely not safe for work. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, but I was fun writing. I had, I had fun writing it. Um, it's available on Amazon and I, you know, one of the reasons I wrote the book, I mean, part of it was, it's always been a lifelong dream to write a book. I, I kept, I kept a journal on and off since I was about 10 and I was one of my notebooks. It says I'm keeping this so I can write a bestseller someday. And I, my, my impetus wasn't to write a bestseller. My impetus was to share my story in the hope that it can be inspiration for other people, not as a blueprint, but that they can look to non-traditional paths to address whatever issues they're dealing with in their lives. And so I know that um, it's been well-received by by not only friends, but other people. Uh, a friend of mine, she made a little book club with her boyfriend and they both read it. And yeah, so... I love it. Yes. And links will be in the show notes uh, for anyone who's interested as well. I, yeah, would love people to go listen or to go read it, (laughs) to go listen, (laughs) listen to this episode and then go read the book. I'll have to make an audible version. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. Uh, Thank you for everything today. And I guess I just wanted to give you an opportunity 
to get anything else out there that you'd like to share today? Just, uh, you know, I think that the more that people can be open to, uh, to just different paths and, and not be judgmental, even if it's not for them. Um, you know, I know like with my boyfriend and his wife, you know, she's finally shared with friends and I put friends in quotation marks because they have not been supportive. Um, I'm really, really blessed that all I, I've been able to share with pretty much everybody and feel supported. Uh, my parents don't know, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, but yeah, so just that people in general, like should be open-minded to just giving people space to do whatever it is, as long as it's within consen- consent and all of that. And just also to find what, what path works for you, whether you're talking about like how frequently you have sex or what your sexuality is or, you know, what your partnership looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it. Well, thank you again, Jeannie, for coming on, for writing your book and for sharing with us. And a huge thank you to Victor as well for consenting to you sharing about all of this and to all of your partners for, for being a part of this interview, even, even, uh, what's the word at large <laughs> guests at large. So thank you. Excellent. Thank you to all of you. And thank you to you, Jeannie. We appreciate it. You're most welcome. And thank you for your hospitality. Of course. Of course. Have a wonderful New York city afternoon and we'll talk soon. And we're back. I thought you were going to say something because you took a breath like you were. Yep, it's called a fake out. <laughs> Thank you, Jeannie, for everything that you shared with us, for coming on and being so vulnerable, and for the work that you put into your memoir as well. We're excited to get the word out and spread spread the word. I already said get the word out. Same thing. But we're excited to get more people to read your work, and thank you again. And I'm excited for the sequel, A Winter of Sexiness. <laughs> yeah. Do you think are you adding, adding some pressure to her? Subtitle: Staying hot while it's cold outside. <laughs> there you go. Yep. Maybe you should write that. I the name's already taken. <laughs> anyway. Otherwise, I would. Thank you, Jeannie, again for everything. A quick reminder. You can go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. There you'll find podcast show notes with pictures of most of our guests. We'll all, you'll also find links to the community, links to the weekly groups, links to stdcheck.com, and links to reach out to us. And links to the in-person speed dating slash friending event tonight. Tomorrow night. Tomorrow night. Happening on August 17th. I got a little excited. <laughs> time, to pack, time to pack up and go. Thursday, August 17th. Tomorrow night. Yes, links will be there. And I want to make sure anybody who is a premium subscriber, by the way, thank you. Uh, didn't miss that. Didn't miss that because our premium subscribers deserve to be at a premium event like this. <laughs> go to our website, click on the links and check it out. And we hope to see you tomorrow for that. And if not, we'll see you next week. We have another interview, believe it or not, with Brie. With Brie. And it is beautiful. Oh, my gosh. No? <laughs> that just came to me. Can, I, I can know. you believe it? I know. I, I mean, I'm quality fully, jokes like that. I'm just... <laughs> fully aware that that just came to you. <laughs> what was the giveaway? How amazing it was? Yes. <laughs> Your delivery was fantastic. I thought it was pretty good. All right. Well, all right, listeners, let us know in an email slash voicemail how amazing that pun was. <laughs> we will see you all next week when we talk to Bree. And until then, have a wonderful weekend. And we'll see you tomorrow at Oakland, in Oakland for the speed dating. That's true. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. <laughs>